You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 291 and 292 of Fed by Ravens. You are being inserted into the story of God by engaging uh, with us as we walk through it. So we're glad you're here. Let's get to it. Where are we today in the OT? Our Old Testament reading for today is Jeremiah chapter 38 through chapter 42. Sweet King Zedekiah is just a weak authoritarian character. Yes. Yeah, no, I think... um, I mean, he's a puppet. I'm trying to remember what other kings we've had before this. I guess Saul, where they just will bend to the whims of anyone who confronts them. So we see that and how that kind of is not... It is is not a great leadership style. Um, But the Lord is actively protecting protecting Jeremiah, and so he'll use it to his advantage. I know, so it's a pretty cool story here of, I mean, it's horrible for our our main character right now, Jeremiah, because uh, once again, he is accused, and you have to realize he's being accused because he's, the word of the Lord is actually surrender to the enemy because God's using the enemy to save us, which sounds like, no, we're never going to give up, man. You just mm-hmm. want to give up. You're a traitor. So people think Jeremiah is a traitor because the word of God sounds contrary to everything they would want, but mm-hmm. not realizing that everything they believe and want to do is always contrary to the word of God. Right. So they throw him in a cistern. Yeah. So they are in the thick of it. Like, so they were being... The thick of the cistern? Yeah. They were being uh, sieged. The whole siege was a year and a half. And at this point... Cisterns were dry. They're running out of bread. They're running out of water. And they're just running out of options. And the word of Jeremiah is effective. People are leaving Jerusalem and surrendering to uh, Babylon, who is outside the gates. That's interesting. And so they are freaking out. Like, I, if I was in their place, I would be freaking out, going, right. um, we need to do something about this guy. And so they want to kill him, but they also recognize everything he said has come true. He's a prophet. He is a prophet. So we'll just throw him into this empty cistern and let him die slowly. We won't kill him. We'll put him in a place where he can die. Yes. But we won't know about it. It's not on our hands. Right. So uh, this is when an Ethiopian eunuch... Yeah. ...hears about it. Isn't that interesting? Medic. you remember Ethiopian eunuch in the Gospels yes. and Acts? It's yeah. so funny. I wonder if that's a connection, you know? It's like yeah. God sends out the, uh, as the, the gospel goes out, mm-hmm. it's like how appropriate it finds a, the Ethiopian eunuch to be able to usher in the gospel to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, he's faithful here in this story, and he goes to Zedekiah, and he gets 30 men. Essentially, Zedekiah's like, yeah, 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 I'll help. Here's 30 men in a bunch of old clothes. That you can tie together and make ropes. Yeah, they're so desperate for the basic materials. They don't even have ropes, so they have to use rags. And so here's Jeremiah again. God's word is is being true to him. I will Mm -hmm. save you and I will deliver you because there's much need for deliverance. (laughs) And so then Zedekiah says, hey, Jerry, tell me what's up. What's the word of God? Yeah. I can't tell if this is the same conversation he's had 
before? Because I know that this is not chronological and that... I think it. he's had this conversation with him several times. Because, again, just... he knows... Like, at this point, everything Jeremiah has warned has come, has yeah. come true. And everything that everyone else has said has proven to be false. So at this point, it's kind of hard not to recognize him as a prophet. So, But I think they're still so steeped in their um, pagan idolatry that yeah. they still think, I can manipulate God. Right. Is it So, okay, we get God's point, but now does he save us? Because we still have the temple and stuff, right? Right. Like, and you're and still Jeremiah here. says to him, uh, okay, here's the straight up word of God. Right. Surrender to Babylon because God is using Babylon as an instrument mm-hmm. to discipline his people and salvage and restore the land. Do you understand? It's connected to the land and the land needs rest. Mm-hmm. And he's going to use Babylon to give the land rest, to restore people, and then I will bring you back. You do recognize Jeremiah's tiredness, though, in this conversation yeah. where he's like, "Well, you- look, I'm gonna, I can tell you these things, but you're probably going to want to kill me. Because like, you seem to have wanted to kill me ever since you've begun reigning. Right. And you're not going to listen to what I tell you. And Zedekiah's like, no, 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 no. I'll listen and I won't kill you, I yeah. promise. Well, I mean, it is like the conversation with somebody who does it. You know, they're never listening to you. Right. I've met the same person 20 times and they're always like, do we know each other? I'm like, yeah, we were, we've done a lot together, actually. <laughs> I'm sorry you've never noticed me or listened. So anyway, uh, Zedekiah then has to say... Cool, don't tell anybody about this conversation. Let's keep it between us. Um, And one of his big concerns is, and this is how we get to know that Jeremiah's word is effective, is like, ooh, if I, like, surrender now, I think all the other people who have already surrendered and listened to you, they're going to, like, be cruel to me. They're going to be mean to me. He's scared about what the people of God are going to do to him. Yeah. Again, still concerned about his uh, public, his popular opinion. Yeah. And Jeremiah's like, God will protect you. This has always been on the table. What a classic leader. Like, yeah. leader from the uh, mm, selfish... going to hurt me in the polls. Right. Uh, we're polling at 32% right now, and I can't make a... He's still acting political, and it's like, dude... Zedekiah, your whole political reign has been, first of all, it was puppetry. Right. Because they wanted someone they could control, and you failed at even Mm -hmm. surrendering properly. Right. So the fall, 39 is a very sad chapter. The fall of Jerusalem finally comes. Like, it's been warned by Jeremiah, or or by uh, Isaiah, and now Jeremiah, and finally we get there, and Zedekiah is not doing anything he's supposed to be. Like, just surrendered Dude. Right, yeah. So the wall is finally a, a chunk of the wall is broken, and the Babylon Babylonians can like march through. And during the night, Zedekiah and some of his servants sneak out the yes. back gate like, and run away. But Babylon chases them down and captures him and brings him to Nebuchadnezzar. And he's the king of the people. Like this is mm-hmm. why King Jesus is so amazing. The king's supposed to fight for you. The king yeah. represents you. He's your father. He's your warrior. Okay. So they find him, mm-hmm. and now the mercy that would have come to them is gone because right. Babylon sees them as, oh, you're not surrendering, so we have to... You're rebels. Yeah. So I'm going to slaughter all your sons in front of your eyes. I'm mm-hmm. going to slaughter all your warriors, all your people, and then we're going to poke out your eyes because we want to show you and parade you back in Babylon. Yeah. And the last thing you saw was us destroying everything you love. Wow. It did not end good for Zedekiah. 
No, Ugh. it did not. Um, but Babylon, though, after the destruction, they're mm-hmm. like, hey, take care of Jeremiah. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar himself is right. going, hey, I've heard about Jeremiah and all the things that he's been saying, and he's been encouraging the people to do the right thing. God's clearly given us uh, Jerusalem, and he's been telling them, look, go over to them peacefully, and we would have treated them well. So, so Jeremiah, good on you. you. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want, Jeremiah? And he, he sends him back to like his hometown with his people. and He's like, you can come with us to Babylon, and we'll take care of your every need. Or you can stay here and put yourself underneath the governor that we set up, and he'll take care of your every right. need. Whatever you want. Or you can go wherever. You don't even have to stay here. And when you really engage the story, it's cool to see, like, there's spiritual things happening. But also, it's just like a practical, like, the king of Babylon sees Jeremiah as, you worked with us, thank you. We also, and we don't know for sure, might be hearing of your God. We at least recognize there's a God in that land, because they believe in so many gods, and different. it's tied to geography. So, mm-hmm. to Nebuchadnezzar, he's saying... We respect you, Jeremiah, because you're for us, and we respect your gods that are helping us pull this off. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, all the people of Judah are opposite. They're against us, and they apparently are against your God because they're not obeying your word. So we're killing them kind of justly. Yes. But yeah, we don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll find that out so when we get to I'm, Daniel. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure Ezekiel and Daniel are mm-hmm. operating around and before the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so I'm pretty sure for however long this has been going on, um, Nebuchadnezzar has been hearing and engaging and he, God. He has kind of a his, conversion experience. In his own, in, in Nineveh. And so I think he has heard and been reinforced that God is with him and has set him up to do these things right. and that he's free to do this. And so I think, again, he hears Jeremiah and what Jeremiah is saying, and he's separated from those guys, is lining up with what they've been saying. He's going, oh, yeah, this is totally ordained by God. Right. So I'm going to make sure I take care of these guys. So what's, what's funny in an ironic way is, so Jeremiah is taken care of during the fall of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And so he's been given a choice. He decides to go stay in Jerusalem with kind of relatives and things like and under the rule of, I don't know how to say this guy's name, Gedalia. Yeah. Gedalia. Yeah. And uh, so he remains in Judah under the reign of Gedalia, and things are kind of going well for a time. Mm-hmm. But now all the people who scattered, maybe years earlier, yes, when the, years all began, earlier, yeah. They're like, oh, there's a vacuum now in Jerusalem. Let's go back and see. Now it looks like Babylon's done with us officially. So they come back, they find this guy set up as governor by mm-hmm. Babylon. And immediately begin a coup. Yeah. So um, so Babylon's taken all the important people yeah, so out of... Just out the of, poor, right? Yeah, out of Judah. And they leave the poor because they still want the land to be maintained. Right. And because when tax season comes around, I mean, what's what's the point of having all this land if you can't uh, benefit off of it? That's true, yeah. So, um, so t- taxes, I guess, yeah. Yeah, in you, terms keep, of, you keep the poor to maintain. And it's a fertile land, yeah. so they're maintaining the vineyards and all mm-hmm. that. They're manual laborers. Yeah. And so now all these other people who scattered to Egypt and Moab and the Ammonites, they're coming back and going, oh, cool. And then... The other, like, Egyptians, Moabites, yeah. and Ammonites are going, oh. It's a power grab. Maybe we can get some of this land. Yeah. While Babylon's got their back turned. And so 
<clears throat> the Ammonites set up, uh, what's that guy's name? Is it, I want to say Ishmael, but I think that might not yeah, be Yeah, no. Right. Uh, it is Ishmael, right? It yeah, is Ishmael. There's a lot Son of, of Nathaniah. Yeah. Nathaniah! Uh, so they send in a guy who's going to assassinate the new governor of Judah. Gedalia at Mizpah. Yeah, and Gedalia's even warned about this right. by Johanan, and Johanan's like, hey, Ishmael's trying to kill you, man, and Gedalia's like, please, I'm good. I, no no one's trying to kill me. I just got this yeah. office. Like, what? No, we're good. You're, I trust this guy. We're all good. And um, lo and behold... They're having dinner with Ishmael, and Ishmael kills Gedalia and everyone in the area. Including the, the Chaldeans or slash Babylonian soldiers that are there. there. He kills everyone, takes a bunch of people, because at, at, at that time, you have apparently like refugees still mm-hmm. trailing in, right? So there's this group of people that show up, and they're, and they're bringing, um, without getting all into it, the, the only thing I want to say about them is they're bringing offerings to the temple but there's no temple right yes it's all destroyed so people don't know where to go and they've been mourning so their hair their beards are shaved and their clothes are torn and it says their bodies are gashed yeah and i thought that little phrase shows the mixing of canaanite religion with the true uh, worship of god and so things are like that right now like Mm -hmm. they bear all these cuttings and markings Mm -hmm. on their bodies because they've uh, been doing that well then ishmael comes out and says oh yes come this way and then basically kills them all, yeah. or takes some slaves because ten of them say, "Hey, we have we have land hidden out there because mm-hmm. we're all kind of nomadic the last right. decade, and we'll show you where it's at." So he kind of saves them. But then Ishmael takes all these people. Yeah, he's like captured them in an old school way, murdered Gedalia, and I don't know where Jeremiah is at at this point. He's probably with them. He's with them recording <clears throat> this down. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like what a nightmare. And there, and then he's going to take them to the Ammonites who funded this whole coup. And so he's going to take them as like a prize to Ammonites. But Johanan, yeah. the guy who warned Gedalia in the first place, hears about it and rushes to the rescue and saves them. And it is almost like a rescue of David, or not David, mm-hmm. um, Abraham and Lot. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of epic like that. But the people respond so weird. When they're rescued, they're, not, they're scared of Babylon still. Oh, yeah. So the people are rescued. They go back to Mizpah, but then they're like, Oh man, the the governor's dead. All the soldiers are dead. We need to get out of here. Nebuchadnezzar's gonna find out about this, and he's going to kill us all. Right. Even though it wasn't really any of their fault. Um, so they're like, we gotta go to Egypt, which is classic, classic people of God response when I things know. get get crazy. We gotta go to Egypt, guys. Even though this whole time God's been like, please. Please don't do that. Very clear about that. Very, well, I've he, been very clear. He gets even more clear about it when Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And he talks about his anger and his wrath being poured out in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Like He explains everything and says very clearly over and over again, If you go to Egypt, you will be a terror. You will be a horror to all nations. Like You'll be the cautionary tale of all cautionary tales. Like, do not... It's like a parent. Don't touch those chips. Don't touch those cookies. Do not go to Egypt. Whatever you do, do not go to Egypt. Stay here. The war is over here. You will be protected here. Babylon will not be mad at you. Right. 
I cannot get more clear. And he even makes them take a vow yes. that they'll listen to him. And they're like, yes, we will listen yeah, to you. Yeah, they will absolutely listen to you. And then he has to end it, though, going, but I know, I know that you guys are not going to hear me on this. Yeah. Because I've not been heard my entire life. Man. So I just know that even in this simple, like, you have the land, you are fine, the war is over, you don't need to run anymore, you can't receive that, and you will go to Egypt and you will die. Yeah. And that's and it, how we land. And it'll be a bad death. Well, it just the thought about listening is so difficult. And then there's a line in this, in chapter 42, that mm-hmm. makes me laugh. They ask Jeremiah, Jeremiah, listen to the Lord and tell us what to do here. Mm-hmm. And there's a small little line that says, 10 days later, yes. God spoke to Jeremiah. I know. I, I was thinking about that. That's so helpful. That was so helpful. Because, I, you know, because we think, okay, the prophet asked the Lord, and immediately it comes into his head. No. It's like, no, man. He waited 10 days. Why do you think? I mean, we could ask why. We, don't, we won't get real answers, but we can at least speculate. And for me, it's like, why did you take 10 days, Lord? And the Lord's just like, because... For whatever reason I wanted to, Adam. <laughs> like a lot of... Like, I just want him to wait, or I just want to wait for it, or maybe God's thinking about it, going, yeah. okay, are these people serious? Maybe God's so angry. At the question, yeah. Ten days is like, he just turns around, walks to the water cooler, comes back, and that's ten days for us. Or, I don't know. Or maybe... <laughs> or maybe it's just hard to listen. So even a prophet has to like right. wait around 10 days. Because you know, even Jeremiah, after all he's been through, all the yeah. mud pits he's been thrown in and stocks and punched to the face, he's probably like, are you serious with this question? It probably Maybe, took him 10 days to ask. Right. It was probably 10 days before he's so angry. You yeah. know what I mean? I think about that. Yeah. Like, I get angry. I'm not ready to say, Lord, what do we do with this? What do we do yeah. with this thing? Because I'm still steeped in it. Yeah. It just made me like, it actually comforted me. Like, you it know what? It was. God's timing, take, there's no rush, God's got everything under control, and if it takes 10 days before I can hear the voice of God, then let it take 10 days, because the lesson I'm taking from all this, and the the request is like, dear Jesus, thank you for giving me a new heart, thank you for giving me eyes Mm -hmm. and ears, help me to hear you, because reading the story, it sounds and looks crazy, and it's easy for me to judge them, because I have no perspective on my own life, and how much am I ignoring that God yeah. is throwing at me, even in nature. Like, I will not leave you, Adam. Stop acting like I'm leaving you and running to Egypt. <laughs> so we look at ourselves because the, the law is a mirror, you know. Yeah. It is a curb, and it, by the work of the Holy Spirit, it's become a guide. So I'm hoping to be more like, and seeing the Word of God, more like Jeremiah does, but without even a tenth of the persecution that guy suffered. Oof. All right. Well, thanks, Lord. You're being honest with us and mm-hmm. consistent. <laughs> Always. Our New Testament reading for today is 1 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4. Well, Timothy is so packed. I know we say this every book, but this could be a 10-hour series on its own. Well, I'm currently taking a, almost a six-week class just on this. So <laughs> so let's break it down. So we are at the place. In my past church experiences, um, we've been through seasons of choosing deacons and choosing elders, and this this is where we go. Or even choosing pastors. So. And pastors, yeah. And we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 4, mm-hmm. because uh, it's here that Paul breaks down 
the qualifications for overseers in the church. And again, this is really important to Paul, the distant father of mm-hmm. these churches, because he knows um, organization, structure matters to yeah. the life of anything. Yeah. A house, uh, a marriage, a family, and uh, especially a church. And so Paul wants to make sure he's clear about there's, there's some structure to it. Yeah. That's just very practical. So um, we have the qualifications of the overseers, which um, we would see as the pastoral ministry, and then deacons who assist in the pastoral ministry. Yeah, uh, and as, as we break these down, you'll see deacons have a lot of the similar mm-hmm. qualifications, with exception to um, being able to teach, mm-hmm. and uh, there was another one cool. it left my mind. Let's find out. All right. So if anyone aspires to be an overseer, first of all, know that this is a noble task, insinuating the idea that this is you don't do this for, for power, for glory, for money. This is a calling. It's a calling, and it's a calling to serve. Yeah, that's it. You're, You're being called a to servant. Serve. Yeah. Um, and even the analogies for pastoral ministry, I mean, a shepherd mm-hmm. is the least... It's barely even considered a profession. I mean, they weren't even allowed to testify in court because it's like, who can trust a shepherd? But we are, uh, for those called to the ministry, it's a job of shepherding. And so here's some of the ideas. First of all, uh, above reproach. Right. So you're not being taken into jail. You're not Mm -hmm. being approached. That was like the original idea of... um, Paul was uh, being taken in jail all the time. Okay. (laughs) You're right. I have no idea what this means now. To be taken hold of, you know, there's false charges, yeah. but with real charges, right, right, breaking right. the law. Right. You need to be the husband of one wife. Curious here, uh, Paul does not seem to be advocating the priesthood, the celibacy of the priesthood at all to Timothy. No, we actually get into a very interesting passage later on yeah. about that. So that's just a side note. Yeah. Like, pastors, overseers mm-hmm. are allowed mm-hmm. to, marry. to be married, and in those marriages... You have to realize uh, people coming from polygamous idolatry Mm -hmm. and they're now saved. This husband of one wife is not just like, oh, you can't be divorced. It's no, literally, you need to pick a wife. If you're coming out of a tradition or a culture where you had many. Pick one. We need to uh, let our marriage be a reflection of the the love and commitment of God to us, Mm -hmm. to his bride. Be sober-minded. Right. Self-controlled respectable, hospitable. And that's and these ideas, you know, clear-headed, well-ordered, good demeanor. Uh, you would take people in, mm-hmm. fleeing persecution, like Christian people with hospitality, not just their own parties. But again, the big one here, uh, well, one of them is able to teach that sets apart the overseers from the deacons. Not known for drunkenness, uh, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and you have to manage your own house uh, well, with all dignity, keeping your children um, submissive. Yeah, because the idea is if you can't manage your own house, how are you going to manage a church? Right. I mean, the list is getting kind of, it's getting big. It is. Um, uh, and then another, a big one is not to be a recent convert. Um, yeah. Because you have to be mature in your faith and know that this is a, a position of service and that everything from God is a gift and sustained by God. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it, it can quickly turn into a, a power like 
yeah. hungry position. And then he ends with, uh, you must be well thought of by outsiders. Yeah. So you don't fall into disgrace. So you start to think about the calling of someone to be in pastoral ministry, administering and proclaiming the gospel mm-hmm. and, the, and the sacraments. You're, your life has to reflect that you believe it. Yeah. And it has to reflect like a monogamous, faithful concern and love for your family, ordering your house, ordering your life. You know, you're not just living on your own, mm-hmm. pursuing whatever passions, believing whatever lies. And then before this too, I mean, he's like, uh, oh, well, we'll get to that later. But you got to protect sound doctrine and be yeah. able to teach. And um, so I know we had just in chapter two said it's men. Mm-hmm. There's an order and a calling vocation. Yeah. So women carry the seed of the Savior. Right. Jesus comes through women and men protect the, the, the message of Jesus that came through women. Mm-hmm. And so they get to say, hey, the baby's born. And the right. woman has the baby is basically mm-hmm. how I see it. And it's not like one's better than the other. It's just how it works. Yeah. That's how it works. And, that, and those structures are necessary. But then the other idea is just because you're a man doesn't mean you can be in ministry. No. I think that's no one ever considers that because we're busy fighting the, can women be in ministry or not? And, yeah. and uh, it's like, uh, these are like case-by-case questions, man. Mm-hmm. It's not, oh, you can be in ministry. It's, right. well, do you have the calling? Does your life match up? Right. And it's very humbling um, for me personally in ministry, I look at this list and I'm like, okay, whew, I'm by the grace of God, these things I think can be said about me, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still like, Lord have mercy. Like I'm yeah. doing the best I can in my family, but right. Wow. Like right. a lot can go either way for me. And so, um, it's a very humbling and you start to realize that the more you've been in ministry. So Timothy's young, mm-hmm. I'm mid forties. The more you've been in ministry, the more you start to realize everything here is a gift of God. I'm a humble servant, and I like to do this, Lord, but I understand if you don't want me to. Right. And that's kind of, I think, the mentality you have to have going into ministry. I think so. Lord, if you I, will I allow agree. it, I find it a huge honor to serve mm-hmm. you. I will I, do it for as long as you allow me to do it. And I understand if there's no money and no need and people don't mm-hmm. like me and I'm not good at it, I am ready to receive that as well. Right. Yeah. And so, same with uh, deacons. Deacon just means... Service. It means mm-hmm. to minister. Oops, dropped my pen. And um, and it's a similar list. And with deacons, we know that women serve alongside men to meet the needs of the community, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I love how, unless you have something else to say no, about deacons, no. that this chapter is all capped off about the mystery of godliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this is what you're, we're being called to is to lead, lead a godly life. But the mystery of godliness is just Jesus Christ. Right. Well, And that's what both these positions are. Deacons are serving without getting even the joy of uh, proclaiming the word of right. God like explicitly through preaching and mm-hmm. through um, reading the scriptures publicly. Like They're just self-giving, mm-hmm. sacrificing mm-hmm. for the church. But then it, you're right. It caps with, man, it's an honor to be a, a, an elder or an overseer. It's an honor to be a deacon. Why? Because the mystery of godliness is Jesus Christ, the ultimate service, yeah. the ultimate sacrificer. The only reason that we can even meet the qualifications right. of this office is through Jesus Christ. It's not on our own. We cannot meet these on our own. We will fail at these on our own. But Jesus, through the power of his word and through the Holy Spirit, and the church equips of the living us God. Yeah. Yes. to 
these things. So he calls us and then equips us in our calling. And that's why he gives us, uh, we confess the mystery of our own godliness, which is he was manifested in the flesh, Jesus, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Mm-hmm. It's because of him we get to serve alongside of our brother Jesus. Yeah. So it does change. You have to think of elders and deacons and leaders in the church. It is not a power move. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's you've been empowered with the gospel to then uh, give it freely away and um, and and trust in the power of God to to do what he always does. And then chapter 4. Yeah, so then chapter 4 is like interesting because then it's like, um, okay, so I gave you the list of what uh, a good overseer and a good deacon would look like now here's just some things to look out for for false overseers and deacons and preachers and spiritual leaders and they're like okay people will follow deceitful spirits and teachings of demons people will get caught up in that and what what does that look like what are the two kind of things that follow from that this blew my mind. I, I feel like I've never really read this. Okay. Or never it. even heard anyone say this. Um, you will know someone who is devoted to themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons uh, because they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I was like, what? I know. Um, I know. Okay. Say it. I'm like devastating because uh, a good portion of church history was propped up by people uh, zealously advocating that the priesthood remain celibate. Right. And that's what uh, Luther kind of stood up against was like, um, this sounds like bad. Luther straddled this very issue. Yes. Like he started off as celibate. Yes. Priesthood. And then he got over it yeah. right, in his marriage and was like, most likely because of things like this from Paul saying, yeah, yeah guys, it's okay to be married. Uh-huh. In fact, it's a good thing. And I just thought of Peter with Cornelius. Like mm-hmm. it's the whole sheet thing. Like yes. what I've made for good is good now. Yeah. And, um, and so I heard it as the teaching, well, the being devoted and these teachings mm-hmm. were going rooted in the old Jewish way of life. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, but it is interesting how it works like, in the future, too. Like, like looking, and you're like, oh, man, that has been a problem. And we have been told what we can't eat. And what I, like, I grew up in um, some, yeah. like, hardcore circles where it was like, you are not allowed to drink alcohol. You're not allowed to do these things. And... And it's very, and it gets very weird and it can get like all about like very legalistic, I guess. Yeah. And the Lord's going, hey, everything I've created is good. Right. And this is why, and I think he's saying to um, Timothy, you got to hang on to like good doctrine. Mm-hmm. You got to hang on to the truth. He says, uh, you'll be a good servant being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but train yourself for godliness. And he compares it to, you know how you work out, you mm-hmm. do that. Well, train yourself in the simple, trustworthy gospel. Mm-hmm. This is what we strive for. We have 
our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. And so um, he's like, don't let people despise, because apparently he's young. Yeah. And um, he's like, don't, don't let them despise that. And you just set, he says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And um, I just think today people get devoted to silly ideas. They're not silly. They're always like, if we're talking about fake news, you know, there's always like a bit of truth. Yeah. And people just start to obsess. And they make it the main thing. The main thing. About. And it's like a good, it might be a good thing, but you mm-hmm. make it the main thing and then you become legalistic. Mm-hmm. Even like liberal conservative politics, that's what politics are. Mm-hmm. They find one thing and then they make it the main thing mm-hmm. until they get what they want and then it's nothing. Right. And so we live in the same time as, as Timothy and as Paul and Paul's like, that's why in your ministry, okay, if you've made it through chapter three and you're still in this ministry thing, mm-hmm. you got to be anchored on the sound doctrine of the word of God. You got to be anchored on Jesus Christ above every other movement, mm-hmm. above every other good cause. This is the cause. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we set our hope on him. Anchor, and don't be uh, swayed by all, don't turn away from God's good, good, God's good gifts. Yeah. Be a good servant. Um, be an example. I liked how he said publicly read the scriptures. Yes. I like that. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. I love that. Me too. That's great. That's because that's what we're called to. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. Okay. It that's, doesn't say ministry, yeah. devote yourself to being the most amazing speaker. Right. Make sure everybody is entertained. Mm-hmm. Make sure everybody, uh, you're really effective. Now, I do try to employ effective communication skills. Yeah. But, you know what? Read the scriptures because it's, the power is in the word of God. It is. Boom. Thanks, Paul. Very helpful for those of us considering ministry and in ministry and even out of ministry, recognize that your pastors are just humble servants mm-hmm. doing the best they can to trust the Lord. And to the extent they can hold on to the Word of God is the extent that um, they are blessed in this uh, holy ministry. Our psalm for today is Psalm 119, uh, verses 57 through 64. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We will talk to you next time.